Hey, it's Zach, and the NFL playoffs are winding down, which means draft talk is heating up. Check out Mel Kuyper Jr., Todd McShay, and Field Yates on the first draft podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast, where before we bring on the great Kevin Arnovitz to discuss the new look Brooklyn Nets, and James Harden, and Kyrie Irving, and some other interesting trends around the league, let's pour one out. For one of the NBA diehards' favorite teams, the Portland Trailblazers, who in the last week have lost two of their three best players to injury. Yusuf Nurkic has a broken wrist. He's out a couple of months. And CJ McCollum, who was absolutely lighting the world on fire. 27 points a game. That's a career high. Five assists a game. That's a career high on 47% shooting. Lighting the world on fire. Uh, suffered a hairline fracture in his foot. He will be reevaluated in four weeks. And CJ is a is a fan favorite. He's a favorite of mine. He has one of the deepest bags of tricks in the entire NBA. Step backs, floaters with both hands, bank shots, teardrops. The guy is the trickiest, craftiest mid-range player, or at least one of them in the entire league. I re- still remember him putting a very old Dirk Nowitzki on skates and making him fall over and feeling very bad for Dirk. Look, there's some chance... A good chance that both of these guys are back well in time for the playoffs and, and get in shape and all that, that we'll still see this peak Blazers team. And look, the Blazers are not profiling as a championship contender right now. They're eight and six, they're 26 in defense. They cannot stop anybody. But we also just haven't gotten a chance to see anything close to this team. Nurkic took six or seven games to even look like himself. Uh, Covington and Derek Jones Jr. in the starting five were just sort of starting to find themselves or still just starting to find themselves. We haven't seen a ton of chemistry from from that lineup yet. Zach Collins is injured again. Um, so, you know, like, yeah, they don't look like they're lighting the world on fire, but there's a really good team in here somewhere, and it just makes me sad that we're not going to be able to see it for a little while. And, you know, that really is the story of the Blazers zone. One of the reasons this team is, is near and dear to my heart, ironically, C.J. McCollum, only got a real chance to play for the Blazers when Wesley Matthews tore his Achilles in 2015 when the Blazers were with Aldridge and Dame and West at the peak of his powers were kind of a little bit of a dark horse contender, certainly a team nobody really wanted to play. And then, of course, that injury undid their season. LaMarcus Aldridge left in free agency. They lost in the first round, and then LaMarcus Aldridge was a spur. But zoom out. You know, this team, they lost Greg Oden. They lost Brandon Roy for nothing. Injuries just derailed their careers. And the story of the Blazers is that they have fought and fought and fought. And really, despite all of these setbacks, LaMarcus leaving for nothing, they just keep winning. They really only had two down years in this sort of recent year. 2012, they draft Dame after the Nets traded them a first-round pick. And their GM said there were only three good players in the draft, so they didn't care because it was a top three protected pick. Whoops. Next year, they were bad again. They drafted CJ McCollum. Every year after that, They've been good. Not great, but really, really good. It's actually fitting that this news broke on the same day that the Pacers announced that Miles Turner would be day-to-day with an avulsion fracture. Jeremy Lamb's already out for them. Uh, And, of course, they just traded Victor Oladipo for Karis LeVert. Prayers up for Karis LeVert. They found a mass on his kidney because the Blazers and the Pacers, the parallels are pretty eerie. Small market teams, not free agent destinations, teams that don't tank teams that just win consistently and yeah the Blazers have never advanced to the finals in this era never look like a real title contender in this era but they're good every season and there's a certain honor in that we tend to analyze it as you either are competing for the championship you either win a ring or you're a loser and like that's just not real life for most NBA teams and if you look at their playoff record it's you know on the surface it's not 
amazing, but they lost to the eventual champion in 2014, the Spurs in the second round, 2017, the Warriors in the second round, last season to the Lakers in the first round. They also lost to the 73-win Warriors, who I think everyone thought was going to win the championship, and then the 2019 Warriors in the conference finals who everyone thought was going to win the championship. I think that year, the Durant was out that series, then Clay got hurt in the finals. Um, you know, look, and and the Warriors sort of fell a little bit, and the LA teams rose a little bit in the West. That's life in the West. That, that 2019 conference finals appearance is interesting. The year before, the Pelicans swept Portland in the first round. Portland was a third seed and just got obliterated. Paul Allen came into their locker room after that sweep, after game four. It said that they had failed and that it was unacceptable. Everyone in that locker room, people told me when I went out to Portland, said when Paul Allen said that to them, they were worried about Terry Stotts. They were worried about trades. They were worried that something was going to break up the team. And frankly, a loss like that coming off a, a loss to the Warriors the year before and all the losses we've been talking about, mostly to the Warriors, that's a moment that breaks a team. And it didn't break the Blazers. I think that's one of the great things about this team. It did not break the Blazers. The players fought for Terry Stotts. They went to ownership. They went to the front office and said, this is the guy we want to be our coach. When he became third all-time in wins for the Blazers, C.J. McCollum bought him an $1,800 bottle of wine. It's a pretty nice bottle of wine. And they made the Western Conference Finals the next year. They stayed together. They made the Conference Finals the next year. That's the year they Dame waved goodbye to Oklahoma City. And they made the conference finals. Now, you like, you might look and say, well, that's just a fluky Western Conference Finals berth. Who cares? They got swept. They got swept by the Warriors. Didn't even have Durant. Swept them. That's the series that Portland had the lead, I think, in every single game. And they got swept. So who cares? Western Conference Finals. And not only that, the draw was a little bit, you know, like once you got by Oklahoma City. By the way, everybody picked Oklahoma City to win that series. They got Denver in the second round. Untested. Young. No one really believed in the Nuggets. So, like, is it really that impressive that Portland made the Western Conference Finals? Ask the Clippers. Ask literally every single person who has ever played for or worked for the Los Angeles Clippers franchise how easy it is to make the Western Conference Finals. It's not easy. I don't care what your draw is. I don't care what your circumstances are. That year coming off the Pelican sweep, that is something to be proud of. You don't think Portland fans cherish that run to the conference finals. You don't think they cherish when CJ McCollum put the team on his back in game seven in Denver in the second round, 37 points on 17 of 29 shooting. Go back and watch that game. Damian Lillard had 13 points and was completely exhausted. That was the series that featured a quadruple overtime game where Nikola Jokic, who does not exactly at that point anyway, Looked like the guy in the best shape on the floor played 60-something minutes. Dame was totally exhausted, and CJ carried them over the finish line. Three jumpers in the last two and a half minutes of the game or so, and they come to the Western Conference Finals. It's not easy to get there, and it was a great year. And yeah, they didn't win, but Portland fans would not trade that year for a whole lot. In Portland, all you can do every year is try to give yourself a puncher's chance to get one break, one injury away. You're not going to get a glamour-free agent. This team's not going to draft high in the draft unless they tank, which they haven't really done. Did they nail every single fringe move in building this team? I and mean, that's how we judge these teams in non-glamour markets. you got to make the most out of every every trade. you got to get two second-rounders here, steal a second-rounder. You know, maybe not. They splurged on Evan Turner and Alan Crabb. Digging out of those deals was hurtful a little bit. Their drafting is okay to good but not great but guess what when you draft in the 20s most of the time your drafting is going to be okay and not great they did draft Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum when they had chances to pick high they deserve a lot of credit for that and by the way when they splurged on Evan Turner and Alan Crabb everybody had cap space it's not like they had a lot of great alternatives for using that cap space but for years and years 
the Blazers have built consistently good teams around likable personalities. Did they build a team this year when they went all in or their version of all in by trading two first round picks for Robert Covington and signing Derek Jones for a lot of money? You know, they build a, they, did they build a puncher's chance team? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, they're certainly not in the Lakers-Clippers stratosphere, but the, the, the actualized version of that team, particularly if you added Zach Collins, that's an interesting team. Nur- Yusuf Nurkic is really good. CJ McCollum is really good. It, probably they would have something a little less than a puncher's chance. You know, the most likely outcome for the Blazers, as long as they are built around two small guards who make a whole lot of money, make a whole, a whole lot of the salary cap, is to be a good team, but not a championship team. And maybe that's okay. Maybe one year everything clicks and they'll get a little lucky. Someone will take an injury. Doesn't look like this is going to be that kind of year for them. Um, doesn't look like they'll ever get that kind of year. It's unlikely they'll ever get that kind of year. Uh, but maybe we'll at least get lucky and have a chance to see this the fully actualized version of these Blazers play in the playoffs or at least by the end of the year. I hope so because I think there's a really good team in there. And there is honor in the NBA and being good, even if you are never great, 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 great. So pour one out for the Blazers and a beloved player in CJ McCollum and a really good player in Yusuf Nurkic. Let's hope we see those guys back soon. And now let's bring in Mr. Arnovitz to talk about all things NBA. How are you, Mr. Arnovitz? I'm doing very well. How are you? I know you're well. I know you're well out there in Los Angeles where it's nice and sunny every day. We are we are good. I'm good. I don't care if it's grammatically incorrect. I am good. I am hanging in. Let's talk about the Brooklyn Nets who uh, survived, squeaked out a very exciting and fun win over the Milwaukee Bucks, 125-123 at home in front of a, a raucous Brooklyn Nets crowd. It actually doesn't sound that much different than a normal Brooklyn Nets crowd at, Bar- at Barclays Center, I don't think. Um, it was James Harden's second game with the Nets after last week's mega trade. Zero of those games have come with Kyrie Irving, who continues to be MIA, even though there are rumblings he's going to play every game and then he doesn't end up playing. They looked pretty damn good offensively and, and pretty damn vulnerable defensively, but they are now 2-0 and with Mr. Harden. What are your first impressions, Mr. Arnovitz? Uh, my first impressions are, are, are somewhat obvious, which is, this is a really good offensive team. And, and you know, even watching Harden, uh, it's a different role. And, and part of that is he doesn't come in as the incumbent, so he's going to be asked to do different things. I think he's going to enjoy being asked to dazzle as a playmaker. You know, he's always created for others in the sense that, oh, I- I'm leveraging the defense and the attention paid to me. And, okay, there are opportunities out there. But it, there's a difference between just finding guys and looking for them. And you forget, like, James Harden is a really good passing playmaker you know it was uh and yet he's also james harden that very first play you know drew's pressuring him up which makes all the sense in the world because you have lopez out there um that's what having a lopez dropping lets you do is it allows your perimeter defenders to put more pressure on a guy like Harden. but he just kind of rumbles and does that off-speed pitch he banks it off the glass before lopez can even make this real contest i loved the small small pick and rolls they're running for harden and harris i mean that's something that i don't think James has done a lot of um, running stuff with more stated purpose and design and with greater frequency than he used to. Um, and then, okay, there's the defensive question. And, and we've all asked that. And I, you know, and I think we all can see that Jared Allen was probably the better player at this point in time than DeAndre Jordan. But I, I also believe that DeAndre Jordan can be better than he's been of late. I think at his peak, Jordan was an all NBA rim protector with elite mobility and elite athleticism. But you know what? 
he can still be an excellent rim protector with very good mobility and athleticism. And I think, you know, there's always this sort of your sense of justice in, in terms of the NBA is always violated a little. A guy can act like an ass somewhere, get himself dealt to where he wants to go, and then all of a sudden is reborn as this, you know, willing team player. And it shouldn't be that way. He should play like that all the time. Even DeAndre. Yeah, he's been kind of he's been dogging it a little bit, but all of a sudden now there's something to play for and he's you know, certainly not the old DeAndre Jordan just by function of age, but he's in in terms of, of of desire and 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 function very much that guy. And you know, I don't think their depth is is you know they gave up a lot of depth. I you know all of a sudden Jeff Green is this sort of modern four that works on many levels. You know, I think they're getting really good. You know, I mean, look, the shooting will come and go, but I think Bruce Brown is a very capable defender and a guy that, you know, is a third or fourth guard kind of works. And, you know, uh, TLC, Shamit, like it's not, it's not awful. I mean, I think up front, they're going to be nights where they'll need more depth than they probably want more depth than they probably have. But like I say that about all these really good teams. I mean, we have concerns about the Bucks depth. We have concerns about the Sixers depth. You know, we have concerns about the Celtics depth. Like depth is a funny thing in the league. And it's really a matter of sort of cultivating guys who don't seem to be giving you depth. And all of a sudden, yeah, that's a dude who can play 16 minutes a night and and, and not only survive, but provide something specific uh, when there's a specific need. So anyway, like I'm kind of bullish on them. And I, you know, it there's they might potentially be annoying just from a narrative standpoint, but like, I can't really, I can find fault, but I want to see, and I, and I kind of am liking what I see from their perspective. DJ is interesting. Obviously the spotlight's going to be on him now um, because Jared Allen's gone. They don't have, well, Reggie, they do have another center, Reggie Perry. They clearly trust. They were raving about him in preseason, but there's going to be a ton of responsibility on DJ. You mentioned the rim protection. I actually think there are two more elements of DJ's game that I'm almost more interested in than that. Number one is how much of a vertical threat is he on offense still? How much of a lob catcher can he be? And the timing has been a little off with Dinwiddie since Dinwiddie got there and DJ got there. Dinwiddie's obviously gone. The timing was a little bit off last night. But is he an explosive vertical threat on offense as he was even near the degree to which he was with the Clippers. I always thought he was an underrated offensive player, even though he could only do one thing. That thing is super duper valuable. He's not quite that athletic. He's not quite that dangerous. But with this particular team and the amount of space he's going to have, I think he needs to be a a sound threat in that regard. And, And I think he probably still has some of that in him. The other thing is, is the rebounding. Because if there's defense is a lot of things, but one of the things defense is, is finishing possessions and this is a bad rebounding team they were a bad rebounding team before this trade and dj is and durant is the same way too they have a lot of guys who are just um i hope it comes to me rebounders they're not box out rebounders they're not really go up and get it rebounders he's a, he's a, dj is the greatest rebound thief of all time he'll go up and get it and steal marcus camby marcus camby Ooh, that's and, 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 he, and he learned from camby that's the funny thing that's true but he's not a box out guy. And you saw like one of the reasons Bruce Brown is going to be a valuable player for this team is Bruce Brown is an elite rebounding guard. And you saw it last night. He got in there and he got some gang rebounds and they're going to have to rebound well enough to survive. But I think, look, I was bullish on this idea of them trading for Harden. I was a little squeamish about the depth they were going to give up and they did end up giving up. And I'm squeamish anytime you give up every pick in perpetuity. Uh, But I was bullish about the offense. 
And we obviously we haven't seen Kyrie yet, and that's going to be interesting. But I think with Kyrie, this offense is everyone says, Oh, the offense is going to be great. I think it's going to be on par with the Warriors with Durant as basically the greatest offense of all time. I just don't think there's anything when they have Durant, Harden, Kyrie, Harris, and just pick Jordan, Jeff Green, whatever. I just don't think there's really anything you can do unless you have. And we even saw what the Bucks have, like a bunch of good switchy defenders. They really couldn't do anything. And by the way, when are we going to just not have Giannis on Jeff Green in these games? When is Giannis going to take on some of these big-time assignments in some of these games? Is that in the playoffs, if these two teams meet in the Eastern Conference and Giannis is over there on Jeff Green and Chris Middleton is trying to check Kevin Durant and then Dante DiVincenzo is trying to tech, check Kevin Durant on switches, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm going... I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to be, I'm tired of it. Put him on Kevin Durant. Like for five possessions, put him on Kevin Durant. Just five. Anyway, I just think. Yeah, what's the theory, Zach? Is the theory that he's such a dangerous help defender playing the game? Yeah, that's it. He's a help defender. He'd rather rove. Yeah, that's it. Put him on Jeff Green. Jeff Green's a non-threat in the corner. Giannis can muck stuff up. That's cool. You can muck stuff up. You know what you can't really muck up? Kevin Durant going against a dude who can't guard him. There's no mucking that up. The only way you muck that up is throw two and three guys at him. And then he's passing to Joe Harris and Kyrie Irving and James Harden. And you're done. And we've already seen, you mentioned the the James Harden, Joe Harris pick and roll last night. They play right away. It's clear. Even without Kyrie, Bryn Forbes, you're dead. DJ Augustine, you're dead. If you're an undersized bad defender, you are not going to be able to play against this team when they have their guys on the floor. But think about like, like James Harden, DJ pick and roll with Joe Harris and Kyrie on one side, setting flare screens and switching yeah. places, and Durant as the single side guy on the weak side, the one guy, you're, the guy you're quote unquote supposed to help off of in that situation. What are you even going to do? I think offensively, this team, pending Kyrie buying into whatever kind of role he's going to buy in, is just going to be unstoppable on not just a great level, on a maybe the greatest offense in history level. And then the only question after that is, let's just leave the West aside for a second. Who in the East has an offense that really, really scares you when you talk about the defensive vulnerabilities of the Nets? Who is the team that, uh, that has the pieces on offense like, oh my God, whew, how are we going to survive with Kyrie and James on the floor? Maybe it's Milwaukee. Milwaukee's got some interesting pieces, but the Nets outscored them last night. It's not Philly. Boston... No. I mean, Boston has the pieces to guard these guys with Smart, Tatum, and Brown. Offensively, I'm not sure they're quite scary enough unless Peak Kemba really comes back and everyone gets rolling at the same time. Then they're interesting. Philly, no. And Miami is, we'll talk about them later, they're a complete mess right now. I mean, I think this team, I'd pick them by a hair over the Bucks right now, I think, is the favorites in the East. I just think they're going to be really, really good. I'm in the same place. I I have them over the Bucks slightly, and and maybe that's informed by I don't know this notion. I think we have that as good as it is as well honed as the machine is for six and a half months. Um, you know they still haven't done advanced problem solving against you know against really good defenses, and you could argue, okay, the Nets don't offer that. But even that, even the sort of load up last night against Giannis, who who you know clearly was frustrated. By the way. I know I know we're not talking bucks today, you know. Talk bucks. I you know, a, a bucks couple of bucks. nights ago, you know, I I, I texted to, to to a friend in Milwaukee and said, you know, like Middleton needs to see the ball and needs to touch it 
on crucial possessions in, in, in the closing minutes of important games. And this, I think, was against Dallas. And, uh, and, and last night, that was sort of born. I, I, I am such a Chris Middleton guy right now. I put him second team all NBA ahead of Tatum last season. Thought about it, thought about it again. Kind of really dug in and said yes. And then there's this notion that he's not an alpha guy, which just bothers me. Like, like this thing in the league where if your eyes are droopy and you're not staring at the opposing bench when you hit a three or you speak with a Charleston drawl, and my entire family speaks with a Charleston drawl, so I, I, I say this it personally, that, that somehow you're not a killer. You look at that guy's postseason stats. <laughs> Like, like, and I think just look at some of the exploits. I know that was a 3-0 game against Miami, and, and that was just sort of a a, a gentleman's win. Um, you know, I know that, uh, you know, Giannis still attracts the gravity that he does, but I'm just, I'm just kind of really enjoying the Chris Middleton experience right now. And, and, but you're right. I mean, I think I have Brooklyn as a hair just because we still haven't seen that advanced problem solving with, with, which essentially comes down to, I don't care what you're throwing at Giannis Antetokounmpo in language that you use. You're dead. Um, you load up. You're dead. Uh, you know you 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 play it straight or you play the you know you play the action one on one. You're dead. And I I just don't until we see that from Milwaukee. And I think by the way we could in the evolution of any team that ever got to that point. There was a point where they just kind of sputtered or couldn't figure it out. And I I do think this is a team still on the upward trajectory of of kind of self actualization, particularly with Drew in there now. Um, and I just, the decision-making is going to be better. And I just think Middleton to me has found a level of confidence, um, where on nights when Giannis doesn't have it, like this is a guy who can carry a really good team in the last five minutes of a game. He's ascended as a shooter to, oh, territory. Yeah. Like you're just scared. Every single shot is going in. Remember last year he missed 50, 40, 90 by he shot 49.7% from the field. You should have done the Ted Williams. Well, Ted Williams didn't do this, right? The thing where you're batting 400 and you just sit out the rest of the game. So it's like, that's what I would do. If I were a baseball player and I were batting 400, I'd be like, oh, I'm done. I'm out. As long as I have the at-bats to qualify, I'm out. That's what Middleton should have done. Well, this year, he's 53%, 44% from three, 93% at the line, building a little nice little early season cushion at the line, <laughs> which normally normally is the one that gets people the 90. Um and he's just really, really good. Uh, and to your point, a very astute observation, Kevin, about um, Middleton getting the ball late in the game last night. I wonder if in whenever the playoffs are happening, if the Bucks are, no matter what the Bucks are doing, if we're going to remember last night's game as a little bit of a, I'm not going to say turning point, but just a little bit of a marker for people who follow this stuff closely. And I'll tell you why. Giannis last night set 36 ball screens. That means mm -hmm. he was the screener on 36 Milwaukee pick and rolls. His previous high in any game for the last two seasons combined was 21. You're kidding. And I wrote, You're and I wrote this is a, unbelievable. this is second spectrum tracking data. So I wrote last week in my 10 things that I was surprised they hadn't been using Giannis more as a screener because when they got Holiday, a real knifing point guard who was a threat both to shoot and to drive, that that's one of the things they would try to weaponize, and they hadn't done it yet. I think one of the reasons they did it last night is when other teams stick their centers on Giannis, like the Nets did with DeAndre Jordan, and just say, hang back in the paint, the easiest pivot, and the one I've been waiting for them to make even more often is, okay, just use Giannis as a screener, 
Nobody's within 10 feet of him. Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, you get around that pick, you have nothing but daylight. 36 ball screens for Giannis. Maybe second spectrum mistracked this. I don't know. But my I, the reason I looked it up is because I was watching the game thinking, oh my God, he's setting a lot of ball screens. I, I think that the actualized championship version of Giannis is closer to Anthony Davis and further from LeBron James than the current version of Giannis. That doesn't mean he becomes Anthony Davis and is and is just not a ball handler anymore. I don't mean that. I just think on that long continuum between creator and finisher, and Anthony Davis is way more than a finisher. Obviously, I'm being a little rote. He moves a little bit along the scale to screener, finisher. And I just wonder if that if last night's game, I, w- I wonder how he enjoyed it. I wonder how he felt it flowed because I think that's a really important element of his game. And one of the reasons that they got Drew Holiday was to give another pick-and-roll ball handler that Giannis could screen for that if you switch, you're dead. If you go under, you're not dead because Drew will have some cold shooting nights, but it could be a problem. If you go over and play traditional defense, you open up pocket passes to Giannis and all sorts of problems. I just wonder if we're going to look back at this game, the diehards at least, and say, huh, that was a little bit of a flashbulb kind of game. Yeah, and look, that was a stated desire of, of of Milwaukee coming into the season, you know, you had conversations. What do you guys, what's on the to-do list? This was just a question I love asking, you know, in, in, in preseason. And it was, you know, a employing him that way and also B getting him touches closer in, um, you know, Giannis it, it, to your point about kind of AD versus LeBron, you know, I, I don't know that in a half court setting, I want him as frequently at the top of the floor, unless there's a real matchup or scheme to exploit. You know, I don't. And that's the point of the ball screen right. thing. When you and, put a center on him, I'd rather have him set screens and just drive into Joel Embiid a hundred times in a game. Yeah. And, and, you know, and that is something, and by the way, it's going to take time. Like, I think, look, he clearly doesn't need to be sold on it that much. And it also, it's funny because, you know, Bud is one of these guys where, Hey, I, I, I'd rather have dental surgery than have, and have a, you know, a really prominent post game. In, in my offense. And yet we saw last season, hey, Brooke has opportunities. And so they got a little more comfortable with it. And now it's sort of Giannis, like that paint is going to be occupied by offensive players, you know, who are not on a drive more frequently than I think the ske- the initial design of the scheme really wanted uh, or, or called for. And I, and I think this is sort of, again, if the knock against Milwaukee is they're too orthodox. You know these things that that work wonders in the regular season. Um, there's an obstinance there and intransigence against a- a- adjustment. I'm starting. I think they've gotten the message. I think there's an acknowledgement that yes, we aren't that far, but B that final distance over the Rubicon is going to require more adjustment. By the way, defensively and offensively, right? Like you just can't climb the wall every night. You can't, especially in the playoffs, especially against good defensive teams. And especially, you know, when size is, is, is an issue. And especially, frankly, when the stop on a dime pull up is a bad option, which is, for Giannis until further notice, a bad option. I'll tell you, though, he made a couple of jump hooks last night and they don't look great. And some of them come from further away than I would like my jump hooks to come. But you can tell that's a shot he's been working on. And every time I watch the Bucks, I pay attention. Say, well, how many jump hooks do we see? How does this jump hook look? How does he get into it? How's his footwork? Does he almost travel? Did he travel and he didn't call it? Made a couple last night. That's a shot. Um, that's a shot I'm muttering. We have breaking news that's relevant to our current conversation, Kevin. Are you ready? What? 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 
Grab your chair. I just want you to grab both arms of your chair. I don't want you to get injured. I don't want you to get overexcited. I don't want you to fall over. We're, we're getting old. We don't need a back injury on this podcast. This is very exciting, unexpected, earth-shattering news. Are you ready? Yes. Steve Nash expects Kyrie Irving, basketball player, to play basketball tomorrow night when the Nets face the Cleveland Cavaliers. That's news. So let me ask you this existential question that is unanswerable, and it's unfair for me to even ask it. And because it's unfair for me to even ask it, I will also answer it after you answered, because I am nothing if not an altruistic fair host. Would you rather have the Nets current team or would you have rather traded Kyrie Irving and let's say two unprotected first round picks and a swap for James Harden? Okay. So the the let me just like do take inventory. So you're now retaining two of the four that you sent out in what one of the two swaps? There were two swaps. Yeah, something right? like that. All right. Maybe I and have then, to tra- maybe I've got to trade Levert too. I don't know. Kyrie's trade value, I mean <laughs> There, I don't know even how to quantify Kyrie Irving's trade value right now. I, I, no one does, but it would have taken a hell of a lot. I mean, I don't think Houston was interested in Kyrie anyway, but to get them interested would have taken some draft pick inventory, uh, among other things. So I don't know what the theoretical deal is, but I guess what I'm saying is Harden plus depth plus half the picks at least versus the big three. Right. And so two disclaimers as I answer the question in the affirmative. Yeah, I, I would have rather dealt Irving is... Number one, I don't know what is going on in the guy's life, and I don't want this to be an expression of or an indictment of of what might be going on in a guy's life. I just we get asked about this a lot. I reserve judgment. I I just do. No, it's it's Um, an impossible. I I talked about it on the jump last week. It's it's Um, impossible. Like we've all needed mental health breaks in our life. I don't know. You know. Yeah, and 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 so I I I just kind of I I I recuse myself from those conversations. Secondly, I also want to say I don't believe necessarily in the oh there's there's redundant talent of shot creation at a certain point because I'm not totally sold on that theory um that said I think there's enough to the depth question again I mean you know Perry might be capable I I'm sort of I would like Allen I would like a guy on nights where frankly Irving sits or you know you want to start tapering Harden um but you're still chasing the one seed uh you know I want Lavert. Um, I like that depth. I feel comfortable with that depth. And I'd rather, and certainly when you come to the inventory, yeah, I mean, you're making it easy in some respects um, with, with retaining two and one on, on, the, on, the, on the unprotected picks and the swap. So yeah, I would have dealt Kyrie. Well, Harden and Durant are, are just that good. I mean, they're, they're two of the top six players in the league, seven at worst, you know, if you want to really factor in Harden's postseason bed pooping into the evaluation. Maybe he falls to seventh or eighth or something like that. But they're just that dynamic offensively. Now, the diminishing returns thing is interesting. There is diminishing returns in ball handling to some degree. There are no diminishing returns in shooting. And that's why I think this team offensively with the big three is going to be as powerful or more powerful than any offense in the history of the league. And the common denominator between them, of course, is Durant. And I think part of Durant's legacy will be not only is he one of the greatest individual players of all time, he might be the greatest amplifier of other talent in the history of the NBA amongst, among superstar ball handler types. Now, Steph is, is that kind of player too, but KD with his size and versatility can do absolutely everything. And I think part of his legacy in the league will be 
This was the one guy you could stick on any kind of super team with any kind of players, and he makes everyone around him better with take, without taking away anything on either end of the floor. And I think there's really that's really something for him to be proud of in his track record. But I just so to answer my own question, look, I I would rather have the depth and just Harden and Durant than the current team they have for lots and lots of reasons that are all obvious. The one caveat is the third star gives you insurance against an injury to one of the other two. I just don't think you can make that the driver of all your decision-making and all your judgment of a scenario like this. I don't think if injuries are, I just don't think you can plan life around injuries and uh, insurance for injuries and all of that. So I do think there is sort of safety and numbers in that regard. I'd rather have the depth and the picks and Harden and KD. I don't think the other scenario was really on the table. I just think in question. That said, um, I am optimistic about how this is going to work offensively with all three of them. And as I said last week, this is going to be, this is how I put it. And I think it's even more clear now, even without Kyrie playing. Whose team is it? Whose team is it? I, I think it's Kevin Durant's team and James Harden's offense. And Kyrie Irving is going to have to find a way to exist in that world. Good news for Kyrie Irving. The team's going to score 120 points every night. So you're going to roll out of the bed, hop onto the court, and walk into 25 points, even if you're not the guy, even if you're not the number two option when all three of them are on the floor. The numbers are going to be there. But that's the way I conceive of the team. And I'm even more sort of convinced that's the way it's going to play out, having seen them play twice, even without Kyrie. Yeah, and your amplification point is really interesting, and, and largely because, you know, Durant is a ball-dominant scorer, but that guy does a lot off the ball offensively for you, which is, again, I mean, I, I think you, you know, theoretically you could say the same thing about LeBron and these other elite players, and, and Giannis for that matter, to a certain extent, but I just don't think there's a firm appreciation for second-side, pin-down monster that will completely leverage everything that you are doing defensively because there is no there's no proper response to that especially if you have lethal combinations on the first side of the floor you know that's the funny thing about the second side of the floor the answer is yeah but what's on the first side of the floor and if the answer is you know James Harden doing hardenish things or for that matter Kyrie doing Kyrie handle things then it's just devastating. And I think that's kind of, I'm regaining an appreciation for Durant because look, I think the static in Golden State was you know clear. There were some identity issues. There was some discontent. Um, you know, he revealed sort of unappealing sides of, of his persona. But like this year, I'm sort of really kind of falling back into this guy is a freak and we haven't fully acknowledged it in a while what it's like to be seven feet tall with that skill set. Um, and again, not just a ball dominant skill set, but the ability to just completely scramble a defense in on all five positions. There is no one who doesn't have to account for some form or fashion for Kevin Durant coming off a, you know, a back screen or rather a down screen. And like, like there just isn't that too. But there just isn't a proper response to that. It is not something you can defend. One more thing on that. Um, the return of Kyrie Irving, who, as we're speaking right now, according to Malika Andrews, is 
apologizing for his absence, saying he had some personal things to deal with. So welcome back to the fold, Kyrie, one of the all-time great scorers, ball handlers. One of the great shows in the NBA is going to make this team absolutely ridiculous. Um, on offense is now Steve Nash has a decision to make with his starting five. Obviously, Kyrie's going to start. Harden, Durant, DJ, unless they get really bold, which I don't think they will. That means that one of Joe Harris and Jeff Green is going to come off the bench. And I think the natural assumption would be Joe Harris is a perfect fit with those three guys. I mean, a shooter, we, you just talked about the Harden, Joe Harris pick and roll that was giving uh, Milwaukee all kinds of problems last night. I think the natural assumption would be that Joe Harris would start and Jeff Green would come off the bench and be the backup power forward. There's only two power forwards on this team anymore between Durant and Jeff Green. And the only thing I'll say about that is Joe Harris mysteriously came off the bench for two or three games a couple of weeks ago in like six iterations of the Nets ago. Um, and so I, I, I just I don't know the answer, but just that fact alone suggests to me that it's not a complete fait accompli that Jeff Green comes off the bench. We'll see either way. These these discussions, I think we sort of overdo sometimes. We like they're going to have three or four finishing lineups. They're all going to be awesome. And that's it for the Nets. They're going to be great. They're going to be a great show. I, I hope everybody stays healthy and safe. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, ooh, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code LOW. That's code LOW, L-O-W-E, my last name, the name of this podcast. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. All right, Kay, you want to talk about a few teams that have uh, gone under the radar a little bit this year? I love the underpublicized squads. Let's talk about a squad that's near and dear to our heart. Let's put like eight minutes on the clock because I don't want to do any more than that. The <laughs> Memphis Grizzlies... Without Jaron Jackson Jr. for the whole season, without John Morant for most of the season, are somehow 7-6. and six. They are 25th in offense and 4th, 4th in, de- in defense. A throwback. Now, the old grit and grind uh, average him out. So I want to understand what the hell is going on here and how this team is winning games. But let me just undercut the whole discussion before we even start. By saying, here are their seven wins. Are you ready for their seven wins, Mr. Arnovitz? Mm-hmm. Brooklyn without either Durant or Irving. Charlotte. Brooklyn again without either Durant or Irving. Cleveland without Sexland. Both members of Sexland. And you prudish Cleveland Cavaliers embrace Sexland. I'm going to give you for it every podcast. Minnesota with Carl Anthony Towns. Minnesota stinks anyway. It doesn't matter. Well, it matters, but Philadelphia without Joel Embiid and then Phoenix full squad last night. So all I'm saying is it's not the most impressive seven and six start in the history of the NBA. But given their talent, given their injuries, Valanchunas is now in the health and whatever protocol. 
Uh, Morant has just come back for the last two games. It doesn't quite look totally Moranty yet. You see glimpses of it. I, I still think it's impressive. They're seven and six. What's caught your eye about the the frisky, feel good, plucky, growling Memphis Grizzlies? Uh, well, obviously everybody likes to hear about defense, right? And and but but look, you know the squads assembled last year, new coaching staff. Number one in the agenda is we are going to work on a base defense year one, right? You are responsible, you know, in ISO for, for, for sort of guarding pick and rolls one-on-one, right? We're going to play drop. We will eventually introduce some thoughtful tweaks, but we're going to opposing shot profile is going to be the standard. How do you defend one-on-one, you know, pick and roll actions? I don't care against whom. Um, by the way, that might determine some of your playing time. And uh, in responsibility. And then year two, like here we are, fourth and defense. And yeah, I, I, look, I acknowledge everything you're saying, right? These are wins against very compromised offensive teams, but it's still the NBA. Um, I have no pretense that they are a contending team anytime soon. Um, and I think they're outsiders in, in sort of a seven through 10 race, though they're clearly situated themselves as insiders. But like, okay, what are you doing? How are you adding pressure against dynamic? pick and roll combos with the understanding that one-on-one doesn't always work. You know, can you execute a switch situationally? You know, um, they're great at playing the gaps, which is really fun because they're young and athletic and it creates great plays for really fun yeah, players. They're, they're, like third, they're, they're third in forcing turnovers, which yeah. I think for, for, for bad, not bad, but for rebuilding young athletic teams, that's so we've seen it with the Cavs, right? Like yeah. that's although they're big guys, the Cavs big guys. I mean, Nansen, Nansen, Andre Drummond should go rob a bank or something. They're stealing everything left and right. There should start a pickpocketing crew, although there's nobody on the streets anymore. But uh, I think we've like that's an easy way to sort of leverage your, what you have as a young frisky team and get yourself some easy buckets for an offense that doesn't get a lot of easy buckets. Right. And then, but look, I, I'm waiting for what everybody's waiting for, which is Morant slash. Jackson being the foundation of a really interesting offense with useful players. By the way, speaking of useful players, welcome back, Kyle Anderson. You know, it, it took him a lot longer, I think, to come back from that surgery than both he and the team. I love slow-mo. I yeah, love I mean, slow-mo. I think you and I have, have similar tastes in guys like that and, and sort of the I don't because I don't DL understand land. it. I don't I just DL I can understand because somehow the plumper he got, the more effective he was. The David Kyle Wells Anderson, rule. yes. Yeah, d- d- ooh, that's a good one. Kyle Anderson like moves around on the floor, and I think part of his power is that the other players don't understand it either. He's like they expect him to be somewhere, but he's moving so slowly. He hasn't completed that euro step yet, so they're like ahead of him. And I, I just I don't understand how anything. And he's shooting threes this year. Not he's shooting thirty three percent on four attempts a game, which for slow mo is progress. Yeah, and can I use another bat baseball metaphor? It is it is Charlie Huff. It is like, what the hell am I supposed to do with this? It it operates at a completely <laughs> different speed and velocity and motion and motion pattern than anything else we're seeing in an For, NBA wait, wait, game. Wait, 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 wait. No one under 35 knows who Charlie Huff is. I don't give a shit about I, people under 35 it, anymore. This is my new well, uh, creed. In my in my memory, I don't in my memory as a young person watching baseball, Charlie Huff by the end of his career looked like my grandfather had somehow become a major league. But was he that old or was I just that young? He, to me, he looked like, how did this 65-year-old guy make a major league baseball team? All right, I'm actually looking it up. He's 73 now, and I feel like he's only been out of the league for like a year. Um, so he was, se- he was 
I mean, this is great. He was born in 48. He's actually two weeks older than my dad. And he played until 94. Yes, the man was 46 years old. He he looked like he was 60. Anyway, slow-mo, I don't understand. He is Was Charlie Huff a knuckleballer in my head? Oh, he was, he, was, he, was, he was the ultimate knuckleballer. Okay. Well, the Negroes, to me, were the ultimate knuckleballers. Uh, Phil Negro and Joe Negro, were those the Negroes? Anyway, Absolutely. it doesn't matter anymore. I don't even know. Oh, slow-mo. The thing about the Grizzlies is they're not really getting, like, crazy performances from any of the guys that are filling these minutes for Morant and Jackson. Like, really, it's their rookies. Xavier Tillman, who I really have liked in the last few games, and then Desmond Bain, who's just exactly what people said Desmond Bain was going to be. Grayson Allen's been hot lately. Like, you look up and down their roster, no one is playing out of their mind. They're just kind of a solid team that makes you beat them, and no one's, not that many people have been able to beat them so far. Yeah, by the way, as you say, as you said, they're not getting great shooting from guys who are better shooters than their performance right now. I mean, Brooks, Brooks is one. Uh, by the way, I, I just I, I need an intensity guy like that on every team. Um, by the way, the team is going to need better shooting at a certain point, right? They, they're going to need personnel that can just light it up. And maybe Brooks is that guy. I don't know. I think there is probably a ceiling. You know, Bain, as you said, has been fascinating. Um, I didn't see him at all in college. Um, but it, it, like you, I'm sure there were people sort of whispering in my ear, like, watch this guy. And I was like, yeah, we'll watch this guy. Um, they love Tillman. Boy, do they love Tillman. Um, and look, obviously, when Jackson gets back, there'll be reduced minutes. But, you know, rotation is starting to flesh out. They're going to have some money at a certain point. It will never be a glam destination, but it could be like I, I think as a as an organization, these good could be guys you want to play with, especially Morant, um, because he just he finds you um, with a without a searchlight, like in the dark, he finds you which is pretty amazing. But um, I like it. Look, I'm not under any pretense, as I said. This is not a contending team right now. I'm excited to see what happens when Jackson gets back. I'm excited to see when guys actually, like like Brandon Clark, start to hit shots every once in a while. Um, but in the meantime, you know, I just trust teams that know how to build defenses young and early because it's that old thing. Like, you're not going to get worse at that. And as you, and by the way, Jackson is not going to hurt you. And so, okay, it's fourth and 26th today. Then it becomes fourth and 18. Now you're a playoff team. You get up to league average. You know, then frankly, it's the grit and grind Grizzlies and you're going to be very good for a very long time. The difference is I think there's some dynamism on this team for modern basketball that that team obviously did not have. So, well, yeah, I mean, when, you, when, you're, when you're talking about losing a point guard like Morant and losing a stretch big like Jackson, I mean, that's your entire offensive identity. It's frankly a miracle that they've been able to carve out an offense that isn't last in the NBA, given the leftover talent, because they don't take any threes. They're last in free throws. You just don't have anything resembling a player who really scares you as, as a defense because the two guys who do that have been out of the lineup. And when you put them together, it's just an entirely different team. Like the team that exists right now, some elements of that will carry over. Certain players like Tillman and Bain have proven themselves, but it just becomes an entirely different team. So kudos to the Grizz. I have a soft spot for the Grizz. Um, uh, one more, the, the Grizz, that court they were playing on last night, is so gorgeous with that deep wood in the paint. People need to check that out. It's beautiful. There was another Grizz point I wanted to make, but I forgot. I don't care anymore. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, 
Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay, full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. With a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Well, speaking of rotations fleshing out is a response uh, you just gave. I know you want to talk about the Utah Jazz. I will indulge you eight minutes on the Utah Jazz with, with the caveat that you could not use the phrase screen assists at any time in your analysis of the Utah Jazz. So with that being said, why are the Jazz currently 9-4 and four, creeping up into the top 10 in both offense and defense and rolling? It's good we're talking about them. They're rolling a little bit. They are ninth in offense and 6th in defense. Why are they interesting to you right now? You knowing my proclivities, are gonna, this is going to come as no surprise. Mike Conley, who has been their best player, and, and I love this story. Um, first of all, he's been asked to be a shooter, which most NBA players would receive with absolute enthusiasm. I think he had to kind of adjust to that role. Um, we forget he's really good at organizing an offense. Just think about this, what he was able to do in Memphis over a series of years with no wings, with plotting bigs who didn't run the floor, like, other than like freaking Costa Kufas. This constricted half court where every time he's you know driving with his left, there's like, you know, there's Zach Randolph hanging out on the block, like, and he ain't going anywhere, right? Now he can do things like get out in early offense. He can get a drag screen from Gobert and like turn it into a lob dunk. You know, he and Gobert are actually one of the highest volume pick and roll tandems right now in the league, and they're getting really good production out of it. Um, and like, you don't think this guy knows exactly where and when, how to hit, you know, Jordan Clarkson on a little stagger cut moving downhill into the lane. It's like he's throwing fastballs. And these are hat court possessions that are producing good looks in the paint. By the way, I watched a series of possessions where he, he and Jordan just kind of worked two-man games. When Niang, Yes, they did that in the yeah, last couple of games. Like, it's, been, it's a little interesting. Conley, Clarkson, right? pick and roll is becoming a little thing. Yeah, and you know who else is on the floor yesterday? Uh, uh, Monday, we're taping this on Tuesday. Like, you know, Mia Oni, George Neong, and Rudy Gobert. And they are killing the Denver defense. Granted, it's, it's the backup defense. Um, with these like half court possessions, the two of them just working, Clarkson coming off these curls, whatever it was. I love watching Conley in transition. It's easy to forget because the Grizzlies never ran. And there he is like bouncing a pass behind him to Clarkson trailing. You know, who finds Niang in the left corner who where he actually can bury some shots. And like this is stuff that good teams do with half of a starting unit. And really, I think there's only, yeah, with Gobert and and Conley on the floor. And and I just he doesn't take a lot of bad shots. And I think he's been their best player. And it's just, we're answering the question that we wanted to answer last season, which was, hey, what would the Jazz look like if Conley were healthy and well integrated into what they do? And we're starting to get that answer, by the way, with Mitchell not playing terribly well so far. You know, um, Ingles is out. They're they're really feeling something. You know, Bogdanovich hasn't been as as, as proficient as he was last. Well, he season. got off to he got off to a start that made you yeah. wonder: is he all the way back from this this wrist thing? Right. Even Gobert is down to fifty eight percent from the floor, which is not good for him. He had a streak of like two of seven, three of six, and fifty eight percent at the. Uh, I'm sorry, forty nine percent at the line, which is one of those things where it's early. 
small sample size, you go 0 for 5 one game, whatever it is, it screws up your numbers. Just just worth checking out in every Utah box score. How did he shoot at the line today? Same with, I mean, obviously Giannis is a much more well-documented one. But um, So interestingly on Conley and Gobert, uh, when you said fleshing out a rotation, that was like, okay, we got to talk about the Jazz. Conley and Gobert have played 340 minutes together so far this year. Conley total has played 391. So one of the things that Quinn Snyder has discovered, and when you have a lot of ball handlers on your team, I think one of the challenges is finding the right flow and who should play with who and for how long and what do the stints look like. They seem to be, particularly when Ingles comes back and Oni will be out of the rotation, they seem to be figuring some things out. One of which is, let's bring Conley and Gobert in and out of games together for the most part. They're often subbed out in the first and third quarters together. Uh, let's try to rediscover that bench unit that was killing people last year, which was Clarkson, Conley, Ingles, Niang, Bradley. Well, let's try to rediscover that, but with Gobert in in in, in uh, Bradley's stead. And they're just sort of figuring out some things about their rotation. Mitchell will get rolling. Bogdanovich will get rolling. And I have to. I, it's time for me to do it. I have to do a Mia Culpa on Jordan Clarkson. I was I, I I even knowing that toward the end of his stint in Cleveland, he had really changed his shot selection to have more shots at the rim, more threes, some relocation threes that we hadn't seen from him before. I still thought he was kind of an empty calories player, partly because he's he's not very good defensively. He just keeps on scoring for the Jazz. He just keeps on scoring. He's making threes, and he has this thing. Where he's like a skinny Diaw, we think, where he just sort of worms his way in there, like spin, half spin, worm, worm, worm. All of a sudden, he's three feet from the rim and he puts in some weird bank shot that gets over the fingertip of a shot blocker by a quarter of an inch and it goes in. He's been one of the best bench players in the league since they got him. I remember going back and forth with some members of their brain trust when they made that trade about how I just wasn't a big Jordan Clarkson guy. Uh, they were right. I was wrong. Jordan Clarkson has been hugely important for their team. They do seem like a team that's figuring something out. And what I wrote about them before the season was, you know, Mitchell is by far their best scorer. And I think sometimes their offense gets a little Mitchell-y, like they get out of what, what made them Utah and become the Donovan and Mitchell show. And sometimes that's going to have to happen, frankly, against great defenses. They don't have a, a second guy. They don't have a Murray Jokic, LeBron Davis, Kawhi George. Can they sort of cobble that second guy out of Conley having a bounce back year? Gobert just rolling for dunks. Bogdanovich sprinkling it in. Clarkson doing it. And so far, they're cobbling that guy. And I don't think, look, the three teams in the West that have separated themselves, not coincidentally, they haven't really been hit by COVID yet, um, are LALA and I think Utah at 9-4. and four, is getting onto that list. And I, you know, are they in the LA stratosphere yet? I think it's a little early, but they definitely are one of the puncher's chance teams. Yeah. In some ways, I think Clarkson is an illustration of who they are and what they do. Because I think, look, I think there are a lot of bench guys in the league where really there's a certain laziness to the second unit offense where it's like, hey, go out there and eat some innings. Just go out there and do what you do, you know. Hey, this is a guy who liked the role because he can kind of just, you know, Lou Williams it a little bit. Although, actually, that's a bad example now because he became such a great pick and roll player. But, but I think, you know, Crawfordy maybe maybe is a better sort of an analog there. But Clarkson is asked to do things off the ball. Like you're going to get shots within the context of what we do because, as you said, Conley and Gobert are going to be on the floor. So Jordan Clarkson, like the truth is, is we're not particularly interested in you as an isolation player. You know, we're interested in you 
working within the framework of what we do. You know, Portis is having this experience, I think, in Milwaukee. And I'm not going to go back to Milwaukee. But I think there are these guys that we sort of decide they're, 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 they have a single facet to their game. They're crappy defensively because basically, you know, they're in a lazy situation where very little accountability is is charged and maybe the roster's thin. So the temptation to use a guy who can, quote, create his own shot without holding him much accountable for those shots is kind of fine because we're just buying time till the other guys come back in. And I just think Utah sort of, they never lose the shape. Now, what's other interesting thing is they're now able to do more things. And I love favors coming back in, right? Because now, you know, the, Gobert doesn't present a ton of problems, but there are problems in a modern game. And I just love, you know, favors first of all, kind of establishing himself is, look, he's, he's not Gobert defensively because nobody is, but we can play up to touch with this guy. We can do, solve more problems when the game sort of demands that we solve those problems. You know, I love that. And, and I just think they're they're They have a lot of competent ball players. Like I watched like O'Neal, like hit Niang on the skip pass off the dribble for a, for a corner three. And it was just like, oh, this is what good teams do. I just feel like they're more, this is what good teams do m- moments in Utah Jazz basketball after years of, okay, how do we squeeze out some lemonade from this? Shit? Right? Like, like we just don't have any shot creation. And look, it's not like they are shot creating extraordinaire, but I just feel like that manufacturing has gone from heavy to really agile. And look, at the end of the day, Zach, we might be talking about this as a really good second round team that loses to one of the big boys. Um, and that's always sort of the Charlie Brown in the football with the Jazz. But there's great virtue in being that team, I think. In hey, this hey, 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 look, there's no guarantee they get there. I mean, that's life in the West. I mean, currently out of the top eight in the West are Dallas and Denver at six and seven. Uh, Denver's just been strange all year. Dallas has half a team. So it's, you don't, it's impossible to evaluate really anything that's happened in Dallas other than Luca seems to have found a groove until last night anyway. Like, you know, it's just Phoenix is going to be solid all year. It's just, it's tough. It's just tough in the West. Let's talk about one more team before we let you go. Another team that you is, is near and dear to both of us, I think. Um, and a team that unfortunately is hard to really evaluate, but they are the defending Eastern Conference champions. Are you worried at all about the five and seven Miami Heat, who are 22nd in offense and 23rd in defense? Jimmy Butler has played in six games, missed six. Bam has missed two. Tyler Heroes missed two. Bradley's missed five. Maurice Harkless, who was maybe. I mean, at one point they thought he might start for them was completely benched until last night when they they dusted him off for 30 minutes. Goran Dragic uh, started last night after coming off the bench all season. Um, Is there anything to read into this team? Are we just sort of like they just got to get their guys and see? Yeah, I mean, like you, I I was I spent a lot of time on them coming into this podcast and I, you know, trying to discern patterns and, and is there cause for worry? Is there cause for don't worry about it? Um, obviously the East is stronger, so you need, you know, you need a little more, um, but it's, they're so confounding because they're shooting the ball well. And I mean, every one of their regular big minutes guys is shooting the ball. Well, they have a solid shot profile overall. They're not giving up a ton of great, great shots, though. They are giving up a heavy volume of threes. They're average on the glass. It's not, which they, which they did last year, by the way, they did, they did the same thing. That's how they defended last year. Right. And that's just what they do. Um, you know, Gorn has been a whiz in the pick and roll. What's new? Um, you know, I'm having a hard time getting a handle on them. And, and there's like, even when you start looking at the non-Jimmy units that have played, 
I don't think any one of them, more than one of them, has played more than three different games, right? Uh, they had this atrocious first quarter Monday night when, I don't know, the, the, the Mason Plumley abused them in every which way. But I, I had a hard time discerning patterns. Um, you know, Bam hasn't been great. They cough up the ball at ridiculous rates. Um, but I, does that is that a pattern that worries me? No. That's what happens when teams, you know, aren't familiar with one another. Um, when you have guys kind of stepping into roles that I think are, an, are eventually designed for them but you're a little out in front of your skis. So in the sense that do I worry that a full-strength Miami team is going to be a below 500 team, I do not worry about that. I do worry that like we are, this is a 70-some-odd game season. Lord knows how many we end up finishing. Um, but uh, you, know, you, you don't want this to become, uh, you, you don't want to start your season, and they really haven't started their season so late that you, know, you just can't hit stride at, at an optimal time. Um, they are such a rhythm team. You know, they are a team that does a lot, another turnover issues. They do a lot of interesting things, you know, running that offense through BAM, which has not been, by the way, that's an area when you start measuring efficiency, sort of that BAM, as I always said, there's sort of three tent poles to what Miami does. And, and one of them is BAM offense. And that hasn't been as proficient. Then again, that might be a, a, an element of, of sort of not having the rhythm that you need to do that sort of stuff. BAM's mid-range jumper is officially a thing to monitor. Um, 26 percent of his shots this year have been long twos. That was only nine percent last year. He's making fifty seven percent of them very early, very early. Had some step backs last night. If that's a thing, again in in these games where everyone is out, you're just looking for stuff that can apply when you have your real team. That's a that's a stuff. That's a thing that you can apply when you have your real team. The Dragic thing is really interesting because they seem determined to bring him off the bench, even though him starting last year was a big part of why they hit their stride. I, I think the Crowder departure has hit them a little harder than they anticipated, and they just don't know what their starting five should be. You know, they they're initially, you know, do we want to have Jimmy at the? We don't want to have Jimmy at the four, but we can't have goran robinson who's playing great by the way duncan robinson and hero all on the floor together without having jimmy on as the four well do we want to have harkless in there and then who do we bring off the bench do we bring goran back off the bench and try hero and bam and butler as sort of try point guards okay let's try olenic they don't have any answer to that question but again it it's early and um you know, they have been way, way better with Goran on the floor. And I think that's a data point I'm sure they're monitoring. They're plus five per 100 with Dragic on the floor and minus nine per 100 when he sits. Um, I, I'm sure they're they're monitoring that. But it's just, you know, the turnovers are the product of they're, they've just been missing so many guys. Bam is probably doing a little too much shot creation. Tyler Hero is probably doing a little too much shot creation. I think that will settle down. I, I do think there's a really good team in here still and it's just a matter of can they get it? Can they literally get the players and, and find it? I mean, this is just how this season is going to be. Look, and some of it's Occam's razor, which is Jimmy Butler, right? Like, like the, the the sort of you know the heavy manufacturing by Jimmy Butler is one of those three tent poles to their offense, right? Goran's pick and roll game, Adebayo, you know, at the high post, and and you know Butler doing sort of the ISO work, um, just to kind of an individual pressure on the defense. And and one of those three things isn't there. And it is a tent. Like, it's not a team. Uh, I mean, it is a team that requires great creativity. They have great creativity, but necessity in some ways was the mother of invention. Like, you needed to have sort of the disparate offense that does a lot of different things very well. 
Um, and look, one of those guys is one of those things is missing. And it, it, it um, but yeah, it's in fact, I, I got to tell you, I'm as amazed. I'm amazed that their shot profile has been as good as it is. I'm amazed that they have gotten the quality of shots. And that's what's so weird. It's like you look at the ranking and then you look at the shots. And and maybe that's just the uh, the turnover is sort of the issue there, um, but yeah, I, I think it is. Look, let's see when Jimmy gets back. I, it's an easy explanation, but I think it's the right one. What happens when you get ahead of your skis? Do you fall on your face? I think I hate skiing. I hate being cold. We've had this conversation. I've never skied in my entire life, ever. I don't want to ski. You we know, recently had. Did you this ever conversation. see the the sign? Ever see the. No, it's curb your enthusiasm. Oh, Larry goes skiing, and he's like, "That's that's how I would be. I don't want all this in my car. I don't want to carry all of it. I don't want to do any of it. And it's cold. I'm more of a sledder. I'm a good. I'm. A, I consider myself a skilled sledder. It is interesting. The Heat are five and seven. Maybe this is random. Maybe it's a product of all the disruptions that this season is is foisting on on teams. But it just feels like everyone is five hundred except like three teams. No one in the East is better than eight and four. Eight and four is currently the best record in the East. That's Boston, Milwaukee, and Philly are nine and five. Then New York is sixth at seven and eight, and then it goes six and seven, six and seven, six and eight, six and eight, six and eight, five and seven, five and eight. In the West, you have the three teams we talked about: LA, LA, Utah. Then everyone is either two games over, two games under until you get down to the Kings, who are so bad defensively that honestly, ESPN might be able to put together a team that could put up like 70 points per 100 possessions against the Kings. That's not very good, but the Kings are so inept defensively that it's actually kind of shocking. They're giving up 124 points a game. Do the Generals give up 124 points a game? What are the Globetrotters putting up? It can't be 124 points, is it? I haven't been to a Globetrotters game in like 30 years. Do they put up 120 every game against the Generals? Are they still around? I mean, I love them as a kid. They're all, I assume they're still around, solving mysteries on like, Scooby-Doo, entertaining people everywhere. I assume like the Glo- if I don't want to live in a world where there are no Globetrotters. Of course, they have to exist. God, who are the new Scooby-Doo mystery solvers? Like It was like Jonathan Winters in, in the Globetrotters. Like, who else was it? Um I don't know, like, do they have a new generation of, of celebrity mystery solvers? I, I, I don't even know. I haven't watched an episode in years. How did the Harlem Globetrotters get involved with that? I need, This is what I want to do now. I want to go read a backstory. Who was the person who in the meeting was like, you know what? Let's get the Globetrotters on Scooby-Doo. Right, like, they like, seem like they would be good mystery solvers along with Shaggy. No one, only the nerd girl, Velma. She yes. was the only one that was contributing anything to the enterprise of solving mysteries. The other people are just absolutely incompetent on school. Fred was anyway. a total showboat. And I think there was probably an exec at Hanna-Barbera who was just like calling up the talent agencies, like just getting on the phone with ICM and saying, who you got? Jonathan Winter's great. Just they're not very good at their at the mystery solving is all I'm saying. All right. Although they seem to get it done at the end. Well, that's, that's Heat, Jazz, Grizz, and the Brooklyn Nets who are going to be a problem all season long. Uh, again, it's this is just a weird season. Sometimes it's hard to think about what to talk about, but we can always talk about stuff with Kevin Arnovitz. Uh, anything you want to? Anything you want to? We got coming down the pipeline. Anything you want to promote before we get out of here? Um, not yet. I'm, I'm sort of asking what teams are doing on the road to promote team building, since the road is where that always happens. And now you've got yes, I've heard t- I've heard tell of I've heard tell of this project. Yeah, but I, I you know, it's like it, 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 nothing is the answer. Like nothing. Um, I think people are not having a good time, which is, look, that's everybody right now. But like the number of people who said the NBA stopped being fun. Um, again, no one's, everyone says it with a disclaimer that we're not crying. I mean, everyone's got jobs, um, amazing jobs. You know, you're staying in five-star hotels, but like 
the league is fundamentally a fun place to work and it has not been fun this year. It's waking up at eight in the morning for tests, you know, rather than, you know, sleeping in until shoot around um, after a late night arrival and um, no one's having fun. And the answer is, is no one's doing that. Like guys, you know, I had Danny Green tell me that like, like because the entire coaching staff is wearing masks, like he really can't recognize them by face because he actually hasn't viewed them by face with this new team he's on. Um, which I thought was really interesting. Um, he, he's just like, you don't really know anyone yet. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what what that does or does not do. And um, I don't know, man. It's uh, it's a weird year. Well, we will be on the lookout for that piece. Nobody does basketball traveling nexus uh, like Kevin <laughs> Arnovitz. Mr. Arnovitz, thank you again for your time. I'll see you soon. We'll talk. It's time for Difference Makers, which is brought to you by our friends at CarMax. Don't just buy a car, love your car with the new CarMax Love Your Car Guarantee. This week's Difference Makers, which always we're going to pick one of our 10 things we like and don't like. The Difference Maker, I guess, is LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers because all the drama about James Harden, all the drama about all the other trade rumors in the league, the Lakers very quietly are still awesome. And they're kind of flying under the radar for a team that is first in defense and third in offense as I'm reading this. Their new starting five is plus a gazillion already with Marcus Gasol stretching the floor. They're just scratching the surface of what LeBron and Anthony Davis, two of the most threatening rim attackers in the history of the NBA, can do in all that open space. And with the scoring point guard in Dennis Schroeder, an ingredient they really didn't have last year. I mean, they, did, they had Rondo, they had Caruso, but they didn't have a guy who's looking to get his own shot who can really bend the defense and make plays like Schroeder can. And you can tell they haven't really revved the engine yet. They're they're not quite coasting, but they're somewhere between coasting and full throttle. And, and when they get to full throttle, they're going to be damn good. Yeah, their defense is a little different. Marcus Gasol is not quite the vertical player on either end of the floor as JaVale McGee or Dwight Howard, but his shooting and his sort of IQ and feel add a different kind of ingredient than they had last year. Montrez Harrell is coming in and just wrecking stuff, getting to the free throw line, eating a lot of innings, eating a lot of minutes. And one of the other things that's going on the radar is all that depth is a difference maker in itself because LeBron, he's not doing as much heavy lifting as he's had to do in previous years. His minutes are down. His pick and rolls are down. His scoring is a little bit down. And that's great. That's exactly what the Lakers should be aiming to do. They should be aiming to ease his burden. He's, he's third. LeBron is third in the history of the NBA in minutes. And they should be aiming to ease his burden as he gets older. This has all the look of a team that is still the favorites to win the NBA championship, the favorites to repeat, and a team that is going to learn more about itself slowly but surely as the year goes on. And by the time the playoffs come, knock on wood, good health, they are going to be very, very hard to beat. So that is our Difference Maker of the Week. Again, our thanks to CarMax. For more Difference Makers, check out my weekly 10 Things column on the ESPN Insider page.